Hello and welcome to Confessions of an Aging Ingenue. I am your aging ingenue, Jenny Tooley. I'm so excited to have you here today. We are going to get started here in a minute, but first I want to extend a personal invitation to you to join us in the confessional Wednesday nights, first Wednesday of the month. Check it out at JennyTooley.com. You might even end up in the confessor seat. Okie dokie, here we go. Uh, before we get started, I just wanted to, in case you're new to this um, podcast, essentially this is me with an iPhone in my living room. That's where I am today, in my living room in Austin, Texas. Um, I do not have my fancy mic. I am not making any edits. This is fully stream of consciousness. Um, I'm just tearing down, tearing down all the masks and all the makeup and uh, just showing up as me. I'm also showing up with these two little kittens who I was hoping they were going to take their afternoon nap, but they have not. They're still running around, as you can hear, screaming and playing and roughhousing and doing all the good things that kittens do. So if you hear kittens screeching in the background or meowing, or if you hear me going, ow, don't do that, it's just kittens, y'all. So uh, let's see, what do we have upcoming? Right now, we are about to premiere the first feature film that I have made as a writer, director, producer, actor, editor. Um, That's called Stuck. You're probably already familiar with that. If you've gotten here, you probably already know about Stuck. I've been working on it for so long now, and it's been all over social media. If you don't, go find it. You can go to my website, JennyTooley.com and click on the stuck page. You can also find us on social media. We are also hashtagged as Stuck Film Texas, and we are premiering in Dallas in August between the 15th and the 18th at Women Texas Film Festival at the Texas Theater, which is really exciting. Um, It's always exciting to get to see your film played on the big screen. We watch so many things on the small screen now. Um, This film absolutely needs to be on a big screen because it is full of all kinds of details and it needs to be listened to on a nice sound system because Bruce Richardson did just an amazing, immaculate job with creating a wonderful soundscape in it. So um, that's coming up. And during that, they've not set the date for the screening yet, but they have set the date for one of the panels that I'm going to be on during the festival, and it's a panel on fundraising. So if you want to show up for that, great. I don't know where it's going to be yet, but I know it's going to be on Saturday at 12.30. Again, there will be more online soon about that. So Saturday, I think that's August 16th or 17th. Um, Again, I did not show up to this podcast prepared with my perfect little outline and list and all of my dates set. So you know, it's out there. (laughs) And I'll keep talking about it. So today, uh, we are talking about stuck. I figured that stuck stories were going to be the uh, first set of stories for Have I Told You About the Time. And today, we're going to do Have I Told You About the Time that I Took on God as my co-producer. 
Yeah, that's a loaded one, right? Did I just turn a bunch of people off with the word God? Because you can interchange that with whatever you want to. Higher power, universe, something bigger than me, whatever. Because my, um, my journey over the last 10 years has been learning how to create and go to a higher power of some kind. Um, when I was a kid, God was like not really, God didn't have a lot of, uh, positive PR going along with him. (laughs) Um, I grew up in a house where uh, we didn't go to church. My grandmother was highly involved in the church. The only times I would go to church were on very specific holidays where she wanted me to go. And I think I did some vacation Bible school uh, at, at her church. My mom was totally into nature. My dad is, um, I believe it's agnostic is the term. Um, and the church was not, you know, didn't have good PR in my home either. And unfortunately, what also happened was when I went out into the world, um, I grew up in a small town in North Texas in the seventies and eighties. Yes, I am that old. And, um, we had a lot of Baptist churches there. And what else was in maybe Methodist churches? And it was pretty hardcore Christian there. And and some New Yorkers were moving in, um, which started to bring in more uh, Jewish influence. Like the first influence of the Jewish traditions I got was in sixth grade because I had a Jewish um, gate 10 teacher, which is the gifted and talented teacher. And she would on holidays, I bet you can't really do this now. Um, We would like celebrate some of her holidays with her and she'd bring in a dreidel and um, teach us some songs and things like that. So um, I grew up in, in a pretty small community and my experiences with church were my grandmother in Richardson, Texas, and then my friend, um, who used to take me to her church when I was little on occasion, like, you know, the day where they open it up for friends and you bring your friend to church. And I remember going to her church and being welcomed and then going into some maybe like Sunday school room and being told that if I did not accept Jesus Christ as my personal savior, I was going to go to hell. And this was very confusing to me because I was, oh my God, y'all, I must have been, I couldn't have even been 10 at this point. Um, and my understanding of God that I had created at, by that time was that God was like all forgiving um, and didn't really care as long as you were a good person, what you believed in, as long as you did good stuff, you were fine. Well, and then I'm told, well, I have to accept this guy named Jesus as my personal savior. Or I'm going to go burn in hell. That did not bode well with me, and um, it kind of scared me. So what was interesting, though, is I did not react out of fear in a way that made me decide I was going to take Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. What I did do was I um, decided that that place wasn't for me (laughs) and that most church wasn't going to be for me um, because that was a pretty traumatic event. So that was my early experience with that. 
And um, everybody was pretty rigid about who Jesus was and uh, who God was and how that all worked in your life in, in the communities that I grew up in. And that just, just really didn't work for me. So um, as I got older, I was raised to be fairly self-reliant, which is fantastic. Uh, I, it's why I can do so many things, right? And that's why I think I can just go out and believe that I can do so many things is because I've been raised to know how to do a lot of things. I've been taught a lot of things. And I have this sense like, oh, well, I can figure that out. Um, the only thing about self-reliance, though, is it's exhausting and it's lonely. <laughs> so uh, about 10 years ago, I, I think, was when I got into recovery and started working on that. Um, understanding that I was not only self-reliant when it came to me um, on this planet and something bigger than myself, like not having the belief that this something bigger than me was going to help me out, but also self-reliant in like that I didn't, I, I, it wasn't that I, I didn't know how to ask for help. And I also, I just couldn't, I was so scared to ask for help. So about 10 years ago, I got into recovery and started working on that and started creating this higher power. Um, <clears throat> and I've every year, this higher power changes. And that's what I love is that I get to make what this is. Like, I get to come to believe that this um, power is going to help me and is going to keep me sane. And um, in order for that to happen, I have to decide what that power is going to look like. Because if that power is too small or too limited, well, uh, there are a lot of situations I'm not going to be able to be helped in, right? So when I um, first did started stuck 15 years ago, I had no sense of this higher power. In fact, Mimi was based on me laying on the floor in New Jersey in the bathroom crying, please, please, please help me. I do not know what to do. But I had no sense of who I was crying to or what I was going to receive or what that thing could do for me. I just was just miserable and I didn't know what to do. So, um, and I think that, you know, that's one of the reasons that I couldn't get stuck anywhere. I got stuck <laughs> was because I, I couldn't ask for help from people. I couldn't help ask for help from a higher power. I just only had me. There was just me and me wasn't big enough to be able to make a half a million dollar movie, right? And me didn't have enough knowledge at that time to do that. And me didn't have enough self-esteem to do that. So when I got back to stuck in 2015, um, let's see, I wrote stuck in 2001. We decided to shoot part of it in Las Vegas in 2005. Everything went kaplooey. And then 2015, I came back to stuck and decided to finish it. And it was going to be an amends to myself for not believing that I could do it. But also as part of that, I knew, I knew I had enough recovery to know that I was going to need a whole lot of help from something much bigger than me. So at that point, I decided God was going to be my co-producer. Um, I had not heard this terminology that's in some of the law of attraction stuff about co-creating the, you know, you're co-creating your life with the universe. I, none of that had come into my field of vision yet. I just had the sense that 
I needed a co-producer because I hadn't been supplied with one. For years and years and years, I really thought I couldn't make the movie without a co-producer. I thought I had to have somebody standing right next to me who was going to take care of all this shit, right? (laughs) And all the things I thought I couldn't do. And in 2005 or 2015, it became clear to me that person wasn't coming. You know, that person wasn't coming. A lot of people showed up. In fact, you know, over 200 people showed up. But that one person that was going to stand there with me the whole time and work everything through with me all the time wasn't there. So I said, okay, well, I'm going to rely on God, higher power, universe. Okay. Brilliant. Thank you, Jenny. (laughs) Thank you, mind. Thank you, intuition. Thank you, everybody who had somehow... And put the seeds of this idea into my head because I would have never been able to make this movie without that concept. And what it did for me was every time I ran into a problem, I didn't have to freak out. Why? Because I knew my co-producer was working on it. And I can tell you several examples of what that looked like. Um, One of those examples is the story of Rue. And I might do a whole series on this, but Rouge Wire, I didn't know him. Carissa liked our DP, brought him in as an AC. We needed equipment, and um, he had an entire trailer full of equipment. He was willing to rent it out to us at a ridiculously reasonable price um, as long as he could be an AC. Note to young filmmakers, there's a a good idea right there for you, (laughs) just in case you have equipment that you're renting out, you can be part of the package. Anyway, that was a little aside. So Rue said, you know, as long as I can be your AC, yeah, I'll bring this truckload over, you can pay me this amount per week, great. And we shot stuck in four pieces, and they were all about one week apiece. So in November, it was our first part We shot for five days, I think. Rue came with that um, truckload of stuff, his trailer load of stuff. I could not have been happier. He was so beautifully supportive. He was a great AC. And I have to say that we had so so much better uh, panning and... um, Oh, goodness, all the good stuff that the AC does. Sorry, my brain is turning off a little bit. Um, All of the shifting of the focus uh, in the bookstore scenes because Rue was there. And at the end of that piece of the shoot, he told me he wasn't going to be able to come back. And I was like, oh, man, that sucks. So in... The second piece, the second part that we shot, um, that was in December, one of the things that happened was we needed to get all of that equipment. It was all of our grip and electric, all of our lighting and our sound equipment. And it came to us piece by piece. Literally what would happen is um, Carissa found that equipment for us too. Thank you so much, Carissa. that stuff 
came from her alma mater, and Peyton Paulette drove that stuff out from East Texas to Dallas in his truck, and um, the school donated it to us for free because they were out of session, and the school's name is not coming to me, even though a whole bunch of our people went to that college, ARG. Um, it'll probably come to me right after I hit the stop button on this recording. Um, so all of that equipment came in for week two of shooting. Great. Week three and four, I shoved them together in at the end of January and early February. So we're almost, we're halfway through the movie. We have a few days left before we're starting to shoot. And I'm like, <clears throat> I don't have any G&E equipment. I have called around. I have not found anybody. I have called about a one-ton package to see what I can do. My budget is like $200 a week or something ridiculously small. And I just thought, oh, I do not know what I'm going to do. So I contacted Rue just to see if he was going to be able to come back to work with us. And um, I can't even tell you guys. Oh, my God. He came back to me. He got back to me. He emailed me, said, Jenny, um, I'm not going to be able to do that. I've changed career paths, but I want to donate my trailer full of equipment to you for the next two weeks. And I was like, what? And he said, yes, I really admire what you're doing. I think you're wonderful, really professional. I trust you guys. So he drove that trailer from Fort Worth to Dallas every day for two weeks and he wasn't even on the set. He would park it wherever it needed to go. Sometimes we'd leave it overnight wherever it needed to go and he trusted us to open it and close it and I paid for anything that had to be replaced or gotten broken. So that is a perfect example of like God is my co-producer. I didn't make that happen. That just happened. Um... Another great story is Holly Payton. So Holly Payton, I knew Holly because my boyfriend at the time was in her band, Lev. And we've actually used two of her songs in the movie. They're totally awesome. I'm so grateful for those songs. Um, but I'd, I'd known Holly. I'd gone to her shows. I was a fan of Holly. We weren't necessarily friends, but I'd just show up at every show and cheer them on. She was just such a generous show person. She would always come out off the stage, talk to everybody who came to the show. So I got to know her just a little bit. And I knew that she knew some people. At the time, she was a hairstylist as well as a fantastic electro-pop goddess. And I didn't have a makeup artist. Um, no, it was wardrobe. Leila had been willing to do our wardrobe, but she was working on some huge television show that was shooting out of Dallas. So she was able to put all the wardrobe together, but she wasn't able to show up on set all the time. And those last two weeks, she couldn't show up at all. But thank you, Leila, for putting everything together. It's so awesome. Okay, anyway. <laughs> so what, what happened was, I'm like, I can't find a wardrobe supervisor. 
and I'd gone to her. I had gone to um, one of my friends who uh, worked in the costume department. She taught wardrobe at SMU. Um, I had done posts, and I was like, I don't know what to do. I did not panic. I was just like, well, this is interesting. <laughs> so I, I didn't want to email Holly. But something said, email Holly. And I, I still was suffering a little bit from that thing that I talked about in a previous episode about it was really hard for me to pick up the phone like 10 years ago. I couldn't pick up the phone at all. And now, you know, I pick up the phone much easier. This was not an email that was easy for me to send, but I sent it anyway. And I was like, hey, Holly, I, I need a wardrobe supervisor. Do you happen to know anybody who could do wardrobe? And... um and I think there was something else I was asking for. It was makeup. And she got back to me and she was like, oh, yeah, here, da, da, da. And then she, she sent me a second email and she said, oh, you know, Jenny, by the way, I have experience doing styling and I would be glad to come do wardrobe supervision for you for the next two weeks for free. <laughs> and my jaw just dropped. And I hope that one day Holly and I can do a podcast episode about this because it's just such a great story. My jaw dropped. I said, yes, please. Thank you so much. And Holly went over to Leila's house. They had a tete-a-tete. Leila gave Holly everything. And every day, Holly, I think, would go to Leila's, pick up all the wardrobe, take it to the set, get everybody dressed, and work our 12-hour days with us. And she was amazing. She also brought all these um, other makeup artists with her when we were doing the 1980s um, wedding shoot. And uh, she did my hair for the final scene in the movie where Franny's singing uh, because it was in the middle of the night. (laughs) Everybody was like so zoned out. I was like, I really need somebody who is awake to do my hair, please. Holly was like, I'll do your hair. So, um, yeah. And there's another side of that story that is also God inspired. And I've now decided I'm going to get Holly to come and tell you all about it because I love it. It's about why she decided or what prompted her to come and work with me on Stuck. And it's totally like she had said a prayer, and there it was. So anyway, those are a couple of my, like, God is my co-producer stories. It is the thing, truly, that kept me from freaking out. And there's one even better one that I could have totally freaked out on, like any normal person would have freaked out, but I didn't at all. And I'm going to get Jenny McGuire either on the phone or in person soon because she's in New York um, to be on a podcast with me to tell that story because it is truly a miraculous and wonderful story. And it is the story of the nursing home room. So keep a lookout for that one in the future. Um, Yeah. Thank God God is my co-producer today. Everything shows up that I need and almost every time something even better shows up, something that I hadn't even thought of. And all I have to do is my footwork and then literally say, okay, I don't know what to do now. (laughs) I think I'm going to let, I'm going to go find something fun to do while God works on that. Um, So anyway, I hope that some or all are part of this was inspiring to you. Um, Whether it was from like the practical viewpoint of filmmaking or from the more spiritual side of living. 
because the two are, uh, they're non-exclusive to me at this point. Oh, yes. The kittens have now fallen asleep. I think they've been listening to me talk to myself for like 20 minutes, so now they're all snoozed out. Yay! (laughs) All right, I'll talk to you guys next time. Thanks, love you. Thanks for being here with me today. I'm Jenny Tooley, your host. I can't wait to hear what you have to say about today's episode, so please comment, review, follow, subscribe, all those things that keep our podcast thriving. Until next time.